Hey there, you are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast. I'm your host, Annette Jones, and this is episode number 46, Uncovering Your True Identity. You are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast for women who want to find clarity of mind, create lasting emotional well-being and confidence, and achieve amazing potential. Come with me. This will be fun. guys, thanks for joining me today. I really am grateful for the time that you take out of your busy day to listen to this podcast. If you're anything like me, you love to multitask as you listen. I think that's why I love podcasts. I can do the dishes or fold laundry or even listen while I'm doing my grocery shopping. I think it's truly amazing to have so much great information right at our fingertips. So I really am grateful to you for tuning in. It means a lot to me. Just want to let you know. And so with that, let's get started with today's episode. Today we are talking about identity, what it even is, why your identity is important, what part you have in creating your identity, and most importantly, how to live into the identity that is going to lead you to your best self and your highest potential. And this is kind of an extension of what I shared last week about who we really are as God's children and what that means for us in relation to his will and our agency. And so today, we are taking that conversation one step further and talking about how our identity, or the way we see ourselves, affects everything we do in this life, most of the time without us even being aware of it. So if our identity is how we see ourselves, why is that important? Well, the way you see yourself, the beliefs you hold about yourself, influences everything you do. Our identities not only affect what we do day by day, even moment by moment, but they shape who we ultimately become. Our identities determine whether or not we compare ourselves to others, what we base our own self-worth on, whether or not we feel jealous of other people and their successes, how we feel about others' opinions of us. Our identity affects how we handle our own successes or failures, how dependent we are on outside sources for love and approval, Um, how we connect and build relationships with others, and whether or not we feel a sense of belonging. So today we are talking about how living in your true identity as a child of God with immeasurable worth, with a unique personal mission and infinite possibility can not only help you in reaching your eternal potential, but can also change the way you're living your life in little ways every day. So let me ask you this question. Who are you? When you were born, you came to earth with one identity, a child of God. And I can't remember back that far. None of us can remember what it was like to be a baby, right? But if you've been around babies or little children, they don't have all of the insecurities and self-doubt that we have as we get older. As we go throughout our lives, we adopt another identity brought on by what some refer to as the natural man or the ego as well as outside influences and life experiences that kind of shape how we view ourselves and our place in the world. A few years ago, we were up um, in Utah visiting my dad, not too long after my mom had passed away, and he gave me a box of pictures that she had saved from when I was little. And this box contained all of my old school pictures from you know every grade, from kindergarten up to my senior year, and I hadn't seen these pictures in ages. So I pulled them out. I thought it would be funny for my kids to see. They thought they'd get a kick out of it. And I looked at that first kindergarten picture when I was just five years old, 
And I wish I could show you this picture. I was this tiny little blonde girl. I was always the shortest kid in my class. I still am. <laughs> and I was wearing this um, cute little blue jumper that my mom had sewn for me. And my whole face is just beaming. I had the biggest smile. My eyes were lit up. I looked so happy. I don't know if the photographer had said something funny to make me laugh, but I just have this look on my face of pure joy. And as I started, you know, looking through the rest of the pictures, I kind of noticed something. I noticed that each year, there seemed to be a little bit of a change. Of course, I was growing older. Those physical changes were obvious, but I also noticed a much more subtle change. And I don't know if anyone else would pick up on this. Maybe I just noticed it because it was me in the pictures and I remember how I felt at those ages. But I noticed that as the years went by, I started to look a little less happy, a little less confident, a little more unsure of myself, a little more timid and insecure. And that made me kind of sad looking at those pictures and seeing that change occur over the years. And I thought, huh, what happened to that little girl who was so happy and confident and trusting and full of light? Now, I had a very happy childhood. I had really wonderful, loving parents and siblings that I adored, really fun grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins. And of course, we weren't perfect, but I do remember feeling a lot of love. Outside of my family, though, was a different story. I've mentioned this before, but when I was young, we moved a lot. I moved pretty much every single year in elementary and middle school, which was an interesting experience and left me feeling like outside of my family, I just didn't have a place. I didn't really fit in anywhere. And I felt like everyone had known each other, you know, their whole lives. And I was the newcomer and I just didn't even belong. And if I did happen to make friends, it wasn't long before we moved again and I was in a completely new place. And I think this was just one factor of many. We all have experiences, right, where we are criticized or maybe made fun of, times when we're left out or someone is just outright mean to us. We've all had people and circumstances in our lives that leave us feeling like we're not enough or like something is wrong with us or that no one even likes or notices us or that we're insignificant and unimportant. And these feelings, these perceptions, they start to affect the way that we see ourselves. And honestly, I believe these feelings are just a part of being human. They come with the territory of our fallen minds in this fallen world. I think they've always been around and that they've affected every human that has ever lived on the earth in some way. Emotions are universal. Everyone knows what shame feels like. Everyone knows what it's like to feel discouraged or left out or overlooked or jealous or unimportant or not enough or like a failure. The emotions are the same. They're just triggered by different circumstances because we all have different life experiences. I think the fact that they are universal is also evidence that we have an adversary, the devil, right? Who offers us these kinds of thoughts and feelings in an effort to throw us off and make us ineffective. He has been around a long time and he knows that these tactics like distraction, discouragement, apathy, even anxiety and depression, they can keep us from doing good and making progress. And he is so subtle and sneaky about it. We often don't even realize what's happening. And I think he also knows that one of the fastest ways to get us into these feelings that just shut us down is to offer us false ideas about our identities, about who we are, about what God thinks about us and what he, how he feels about us and what we are really capable of. He knows that if he can get us to forget our true selves, if he can get us to focus on our weaknesses and failings, rather than our divine natures and spiritual gifts, 
He can derail us and keep us from living into our true potential as children of God. And this is a challenge that has plagued humans from the beginning, right? We have all kinds of stories in the scriptures about people who gave into this, who forgot who they really were, who acted from feelings of shame or pride or jealousy or discouragement, and had to deal with some pretty grave consequences because of it. So this identity problem is nothing new to us humans, but we are not living in the same world as Adam and Eve or Moses or Nephi or even the pioneers. We are not living in the same world that I grew up in. The time we are living in today has its own set of unique challenges. M. Catherine Thomas, who was a BYU professor and is one of my favorite authors, said this, Many of our emotional and spiritual problems begin in the mind. One of the reasons we have these problems is that we live in a culture that is speedy and noisy and in its own way supports emotional dysfunction. Electronics, for example, shape our lives and we do not understand the effects of these conditions on our mind. Many of us can't sustain our attention as generations before us could. Thus, we find ourselves being inhibited in allowing transformative truths to distill into our being and do their healing work there because our minds are so scattered. So, as if being a mortal with a human brain and human emotions, along with an adversary who is trying to derail our progress isn't enough, we also live in a world that is very loud, very busy, and very distracting. And over time, without really being aware of it, we can start to lose our identities. I love the phrase that we are spiritual beings having an earthly experience. We are in reality, spirit, children of God. We talked about this last week, right? That we are the literal offspring of God. And our potential is to eventually live the life that he lives as an exalted being. His goal is to help us back to him, not just so that we can be with him, but so that we can be like him. And this is amazing, right? To think of what that really means to be a child of God, to literally have the divine DNA of our heavenly parents within us. Think about the last time you saw a newborn baby. How did you feel as you looked at that sweet, innocent little soul straight from heaven? One of my daughters is just finishing up her last semester of nursing school, and she has the opportunity right now to be assisting as a nurse in the NICU. And I was talking with her about it, and she said the absolute highlight is when she gets to just sit and hold those tiny babies. They're just so tiny and perfect and so very lovable, right? As babies, we come to earth with pure survival instincts. We need food, we need diaper changes, we need protection, we need connection. Pretty simple, right? But as we get older, we become more aware of ourselves, of other people, of things in our environment, and we start to make connections. We start to form ideas and rules um, about the world and, and people in it and how everything works together. And going back to what I talked about earlier, Um, You know, with my school pictures, as we get older, we start to have ideas about ourselves based on our experiences or what other people have said about us, positive or negative, right? And we take these beliefs about ourselves and form this kind of protective emotional barrier in an effort to help us feel safe and to keep things as predictable and in control as possible. And that's what our brain likes, right? Dr. Alan Bergen, who is an LDS clinical psychologist, describes this protective barrier as he calls it the mortal overlay, and he describes it this way. He says, separated from our heavenly parents, we develop a new earthly identity that overlays the pre-existent self. It is the combined physical body and mortal mind 
with all of their positive and negative features acquired through biology, genetics, and life experience. It varies over the course of a lifetime according to biological changes, personal choices, environmental events, and spiritual influences. Thus, the mortal overlay can disguise a person's true character. Brene Brown describes this protective barrier in a similar way. Um, she calls it, you know, these coping mechanisms that we've developed to protect ourselves from feeling inadequate or getting hurt. And she talks about this in reference to something that happens when we reach midlife. And we realize that a lot of the beliefs about ourselves that we adopted when we were young, which created this protection, is actually not really serving us anymore. And she refers to it as this armor that we've built up around ourselves. And she says that this emotional protection we put up, thinking that it's going to provide security, is actually keeping us from growing into and utilizing our gifts and strengths. It's keeping us from true connection with ourselves and with others, and it actually stalls our progress. These walls that we've put up, thinking they would ensure our lovability, our happiness, our success, are actually sabotaging those things and preventing us from really showing up and living the lives that we were meant to live. So what can we do about this? Well, if the problem really is that we have forgotten our true identity, the solution, it would seem, would be to remember to remove the false identity that has slowly built up over the years and replace it with the truth of who we really are. Growing up in church, the truth that I was a child of God was taught and regularly reinforced to me in primary. And then when I turned 12, I repeated the Young Women theme, which clearly stated my identity as a daughter of God every single Sunday with all the other girls at church. And to some degree, I understood what that meant. And I loved the idea that I was a child of God, that I was a daughter of a king, a child of the most powerful being in the universe. But then again, so was everyone else on the earth, right? So did it really make me that special? I wanted to do good and be obedient and please my heavenly father. And I knew that he loved me. But again, he felt that way about everyone. I mean, he's got a lot of children, right? <laughs> How much time did he really have to concern himself with or even think about me? So some of those principles that I was taught at church, um, though full of truth, they still felt a little vague. What did it even mean that I was a daughter of God? How did that even make a difference in my life? And why did this really matter if it also applied to everyone else who has or who has ever lived on the earth and does live on the earth now? Deep down, I knew this doctrine was true. I knew that God was aware of me and loved me, but I didn't really understand the power and the significance of that truth that we are literal children of God until I got a little older and realized the implications that had for not only my eternal potential, but also in my daily habits and feelings and interactions and attitudes. I want to share with you a story, a true story actually, I heard a couple of years ago about this giant golden Buddha statue, which is now located at a temple in Bangkok, Thailand. And this giant statue is nearly 10 feet tall and weighs between five and six tons and it is made of pure 18 karat gold. Now, historians aren't completely sure about the origins of the statue, but they estimate that it was made in Thailand sometime in the 13th or 14th centuries. Now, the interesting thing about this giant statue made of solid gold is that in order to conceal its true value and prevent it from being stolen by invaders, it was completely covered in plaster. Buddhist monks worked to carefully conceal the golden statue with a stucco mixture 
Then they painted the stucco and finally embellished the statue with tiny pieces of glass. Well, the temple that housed this statue was attacked by a Burmese army, but they left the giant plaster statue untouched, thinking it was of little value. All of the monks were killed in this attack, and so the secret of this precious golden statue died with them. Well, in 1801, the king of Siam established Bangkok as a new capital city of his kingdom, and he commissioned the construction of many temples and ordered that various old Buddha images and statues should be brought to the new capital from the ruined temples around the country. And this giant golden statue, still covered with stucco, was eventually installed as the central Buddha image in the main temple in Bangkok. Well, eventually that temple fell into disrepair and was closed, and in 1935, the statue was moved to another temple. But since there wasn't room in the temple to house this giant statue, it was kept under a simple tin-roofed pagoda for 20 years. By this point, the true identity of the statue had been forgotten for almost 200 years. Well, in 1954, a new building was built at this temple to house the statue, and it was moved to its new location in 1955. But during an attempt to lift the statue from its pedestal, the ropes broke, and the statue fell and hit the ground. Well, someone noticed um, some of the plaster coating chipping off, and as they kind of surveyed the damage, they realized that underneath the chipped plaster, they could see gold. And so they immediately stopped work so they could investigate. And after the plaster was carefully removed, they discovered that this statue, which they thought was made of stucco and bits of glass, was actually made of pure solid gold. This statue was much more valuable than anyone had ever anticipated or realized. And it was estimated that the value was thought to be more than $250 million. What a story, right? And what a powerful image of something so precious being covered up and hidden so that no one was even aware of its true identity or potential. I think the account of the golden statue is the perfect visual for the concept I mentioned earlier about our true selves, our true identities as children of God being covered up or hidden by a layer of false identity made up of all of the limiting beliefs and ideas about ourselves that we've collected and acquired throughout our lives. So what can we do about this? How do we, like those who chipped away at the plaster and discovered this historical statue of enormous value, how do we start to chip away at our own false identity that's keeping us from being who we really are and step into our true identities as children of God? The implications of this are actually huge. Think about it. How would you be different if you spent more time living in your true identity rather from the restrictive, limiting beliefs of your false identity. What would you think? How would you feel? What would you do? Who would you be? I will tell you in my own life that as I have worked to gradually chip away at the distorted thoughts and beliefs that were keeping me from living in alignment with my divine nature as a child of God, I experienced some really remarkable shifts and transformations. Instead of feeling insecure and worried about what people thought of me, I now feel confident in who I am, regardless of others' opinions. Instead of looking to outside sources for approval, I can find unconditional love and value and acceptance inside of myself and in the eyes of God. Instead of feeling left out, I have developed a deep sense of belonging that doesn't change with my circumstances. 
instead of being judgmental or critical of myself and others, I now see that we are all just doing our best, and it's so much easier to give myself and others the benefit of the doubt. Instead of feeling jealous or competitive, I can truly be happy for the success and accomplishments of others. Instead of being discouraged by my weaknesses and how far I have to go, I'm better able to focus on my strengths and my talents and partner with God in using them to help do his work in the world. If I could describe living from my true identity in one word, I think it would be freedom. Freedom to decide intentionally how I want to think about myself and the people and circumstances in my life. Having this perspective helps me more clearly see the choice I have to think and feel from either my false plaster-like layer of identity shaped by the world or from my true authentic identity as a daughter of heavenly parents. Of course there's going to be a difference. There's a difference in how I handle the big trials in my life as well as the small everyday challenges, frustrations, and annoyances. Your identity, the way you think and feel about yourself, makes a difference. So what's the best way to understand who you are and live in your true identity more often? Well, there's lots of suggestions out there, but for me, the most powerful and effective way to do this is to personally spend time with God. Um, Bruce R. McConkie spoke about how we can better come to know and understand the nature and characteristics of God when he said, God is known only by revelation. He cannot be discovered in the laboratory or by viewing all immensity throughout giant telescopes, or by cataloging all the laws of nature that do or have existed. A knowledge of his powers and the laws of nature which he has ordained does not reveal his personality and attributes to men in the true gospel sense. Certainly, a knowledge of these laws and powers enables man to learn truths which are faith-promoting and which help him to understand more about deity. But saving knowledge of God comes only by revelation from the Holy Ghost, as a consequence of obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. So we can't come to know God by simply reading about him or hearing other people's experiences with him, although these can be helpful, right? But the only way to come to know God for ourselves is to ask him to seek and receive our own revelation about his divine attributes and characteristics and ways. We need to have our own experience with him. And the same goes for coming to know our true selves. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He has a much higher view and more accurate perspective of our capabilities and our potential than we or any other person has. He can teach us more about ourselves and our purpose here on earth more powerfully and effectively than any other source. President Kevin Worthen said, There will be times when the gap between the godlike state that is our destiny and our current imperfect state appears so immense that it seems overwhelming. At times, we may find ourselves surrounded by constant reminders that we are falling short. In those moments when you wonder if you can make it, when the challenges seem too much, I urge you to turn to God. More specifically, I plead with you to find a time and a place when you can, in all honesty, ask God what He really thinks of you. Don't assume anything. Don't assume you are worthless, that He is displeased with you, or that He has given up on you. Ask instead, with real intent, the simple questions. Father, what do you think of me? Who am I to you? He says, I am confident that if you are open, you will be pleasantly surprised by the answers. 
So this concept always makes me think of the book You Are Special by Max Lucado. It's one of my very favorites. If you haven't read it, you need to go out and get it. (laughs) But it's a children's book about this town of little wooden people who go around all day judging each other using stickers. The beautiful, talented ones get star stickers, and the not-so-beautiful, awkward ones get dots. And it's discouraging, especially to one little wooden boy who is constantly getting dots. He just feels like he can't do anything right. Well, one day, he meets a little wooden girl who is like no one he has ever met before. She has no stickers at all. And he's fascinated. He asks her what her secret is, and she says that every day... She goes to see the great woodcarver who made all of the wooden people. Every day she goes and sits with him and is reminded of who she really is and how much she is loved. And if you want to know the rest of the story, you'll have to go read it, but it's a really sweet reminder of how easy it is to get distracted and discouraged in our world of comparisons and judging and never feeling good enough and how important it is to make time to sit in the love of God and remember who we really are and how he really feels about us. President Nelson, in a talk to the women of the church, said, My dear sisters, you have special spiritual gifts and propensities. I urge you with all the hope of my heart to pray to understand your spiritual gifts, to cultivate, use, and expand them even more than you ever have. You will change the world as you do. Tuning into your unique gifts and strengths and then finding ways to use them to be an instrument in God's hands, to bless His children and help participate in His great work, is one of the most powerful ways to tap into your true identity. One exercise I love to use with myself and with my clients to find the truth about who we are and how God really feels about us as his children is to turn to the scriptures and the words of our prophets today. If you pay attention, they are offering us thoughts or truths about our identity and our potential. We just had general conference last weekend. Did you hear any there? I've noticed that I'll be listening to a talk and sometimes it's just one line, but the speaker will say something that just resonates with me. It feels like electricity going through my body. That's how I know I've just heard a powerful truth. It's like my spirit is reacting to it. I think our spirits really do respond to light and truth when it's presented to us. So I like to go back um, and print out a favorite talk or do a topical search in the scriptures And then mark or highlight the words that really speak to me. And then I'll make a list of these thoughts that I want to practice. I was doing this exercise with a teenage client of mine recently, and we printed out Elder Uchtdorf's talk, You Matter to Him. And it was so fun to see what phrases stood out to her. She highlighted them, and then we talked about why they were so powerful for her. And if these things are really true, what that means for her and for her choices and for the challenges she faces and for her potential. It was such a sweet session and she left just feeling like she could take on the world. And we've all had that feeling, right, of being just so inspired and feeling confident. But most of us have been around long enough to know that those feelings don't last forever. We are humans. Our emotions ebb and flow. But the cool thing I've learned through coaching is that we're more in control of our emotions than we think. And so Maybe we're not going to walk around feeling inspired and confident every second of every day, but as I talked about with this client, um, is that when we do slip into those feelings of insecurity and self-doubt, we know how to get out of it because those negative survival emotions are just coming from the thoughts and stories we're telling ourselves about ourselves. And most of the time, I would venture (laughs) even to say all of the time, they are not the truth. 
And when we, when we can get back to the truth and practice telling ourselves the truth and believing the truth about who we are, that's when we can live more genuinely and consistently in our true identity. And one of the things I love most about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it offers us so many amazing thoughts to think about ourselves. Sometimes we've heard these things for so long, we kind of take them for granted, or maybe we've never you know, taken the time to really sit with them and come to know the significance and implications of these truths for our lives. We don't take the time to just be still and ponder and ask God what these truths mean for us personally and how we can incorporate them into who we are and what we do. So here are just a few examples from my list of thoughts I love from some of our Latter-day Prophets and church leaders. President Thomas S. Monson said, You may be sometimes tempted to say, Will my influence make any difference? I am just one. I testify to you that it will. You will never be able to measure your influence for good. Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf said, You are something divine, more beautiful and glorious than you could possibly imagine. Elder L. Tom Perry said one of the greatest weaknesses in most of us is our lack of faith in ourselves. One of our common failings is to depreciate our tremendous worth. From Elder Jeffrey R. Holland, he said, Be reassured of Heavenly Father's abundance to you always. All members are adored, essential, and important. No one of us is less treasured or cherished of God than another. He loves each of us insecurities, anxieties, self-image, and all. President Gordon B. Hinckley said, Never forget that you really are a child of God who has inherited something of his divine nature. This one's from Elder Craig C. Christensen. He said, Heavenly Father knows all about you, your strengths and weaknesses. He knows perfectly who you are, but he also knows who you can become. And with that knowledge, he has placed you here now at the exact place in time in which you can do the most good with the talents and gifts he has given you. From Sister Ardith G. Cap, she said, We did not come to this earth to gain our worth. We brought it with us. And finally, one of my very favorites from, from President Russell M. Nelson, he said, First and foremost, you are a child of God. Second, as a member of the church, you are a child of the covenant. And third, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. He said, I plead with you not to replace these three paramount and unchanging identifiers with any others, because doing so could stymie your progress or pigeonhole you in a stereotype that could potentially thwart your eternal progression. Worldly identifiers will never give you a vision of who you can ultimately become. They will never affirm your divine DNA or your unlimited divine potential. So again, find thoughts and truths that resonate with your soul, but don't just read them. Don't just write them down. Sit with them. Ask God to reaffirm them to you and show you how they pertain to you personally. Meditate on them. Pray about them and find evidence for them in your life. Consistently doing this work has changed how I see and feel about myself and how I see and feel about others. And of course, I am not perfect at it. I still have those moments of fear or anxiety, scarcity, self-doubt. I don't think those feelings are ever truly eradicated in this lifetime due to the fact that we still have our human brain resisting and imposing change and growth, along with an adversary who never really rests, <laughs> who is intent on bringing us down with discouragement and despair. But those moments have become much fewer and far between, and I am able to get out of them much more quickly than I used to. 
They don't paralyze me like they did before. I know exactly what to do and how to handle them when they come up. And I have seen this happen for my clients too. When you really learn how to apply it to your own personal life and circumstances, this work produces amazing results. So I encourage you, make time for it. I know your life is busy. I know you've got a lot on your plate. I know you feel like you'll have more time later or you know when something changes, but guess what? You're always going to be busy. You're always going to have a lot on your plate. Making the time to take care of yourself mentally and emotionally and spiritually will never be convenient, but it is so important. It changes you. It helps you come to your life with a new mindset and a new perspective. And so even if nothing else in your life is different, you are different. The way you show up in your relationships and your goals and your challenges will be different. Doing this work in one area of your life will have a positive effect on all the other areas too. I've seen it over and over again. Okay, I'm going to leave you with one last quote. I love my quotes. And then I'll let you go. This one is from sister Sherry Dew, and it's one of my favorites. She said, the Lord knows who we are, where we are, what our mission is, and what we need in order to accomplish our mission. Not only has he known us for a long, long time, he has loved us for a long, long time. We are here now because we are supposed to be here now. No one else can have the influence or do the good that we were prepared and foreordained to have and do. No one else can fulfill our individual missions. And this is so true. You are important. You have a purpose. You have a great work to do here in this life. Don't let your human brain or anyone else for that matter tell you otherwise. Don't give attention to the lies that are keeping you living in your false identity. Seek out truth that teaches you about who you really are and that helps you live in your true identity as a child of God with infinite potential. Okay, I'm going to stop there. (laughs) I could go on, but if you would like help implementing the things we've talked about today into your own life, come chat with me. You can find me on Instagram at Annette Jones Coaching. Feel free to DM me or even sign up for a free strategy call to find out how to put these tools to work in your own life. And if you're interested, I have a free guide with all kinds of prompts and questions to help you tap into your real identity, remind you of who you really are and what you are here to do, and really get some perspective on your purpose here on this earth. It's fun, it's free, and you can download it um, on my website at AnnetteJonesLifeCoaching.com. All right, I'm signing off for now. I hope you have a great week, and I will be back to chat with you again soon. If you like what you hear on this podcast and would like to learn more, I invite you to go to my website at AnnetteJonesLifeCoaching.com. There you can sign up for a free mini session where I'll help you see how the tools I teach on this podcast can be applied directly to your own personal challenges. You can also find information on classes I teach and get on my email list for a weekly dose of inspiration straight to your inbox. Again, that's AnnetteJonesLifeCoaching.com. I'll see you there.